Welcome to season four of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to part two of our intergenerational conversations titled Parents Just Don't Understand. And this is the sequel to the first conversation that was had, uh, which was um, focused on hearing what parents, African immigrants, first generation African immigrant parents, uh, what their experiences are like from migrating, how they self-identify, and also how they, uh, you know, how, what the challenges they are having raising children in America. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert, and I will be serving as your, your, your moderator for today. What are we? We have special guests, but I want to take some time to introduce my co-coordinators of this talk. Um, I have my brother Abdullah Sise and my auntie Kemi who are here with me as well. So I want them to introduce themselves and then I'll give you a little bit more background as far as what we're going to plan to do today. And then we'll open up uh, by introducing our speakers for today and then we'll get right into the conversation, which we hope will be a very fruitful and insightful one. So brother and auntie, if you floor is yours. Oh, thank you so much for uh, for this uh, wonderful conversation we are about to have. Uh, as uh, Dr. Kelechi introduced me, I'm Ms. Kemi Siriki. I'm actually the founder of Pansa Pansa Forum and uh, also host uh, Pansa Pansa uh, Podcast Live here on my, on my blog. So I started this uh, conversation initially in New York City since 2017 to actually bring African immigrants and their uh, parents as well as their children together to have a deep conversation of how we can build the bridge. And I'm so happy and I'm so grateful that we are having this conversation online now whereby we could actually, you know, globalize this kind of uh, important uh, dialogue that we need to have. So I, I would also like to thank uh, my co-host in uh, this um, event that we are having, Dr. Ibe Lambert, as well as brother Abdullah Sisi, because without them, there's no way of this event taking place because they are actually part of the brain, very important in part of this conversation as well. And I also want to thank the panelists. Without them, we are not, we won't be able to do this, you know, because what we share today here will be so important to those who are members of our community who are also going to listen to this conversation later on. So I want to thank also the audience for coming in. And please, you know, come in. This is the second part of the conversation. We're going to have the third one coming up. So make sure you join. So I don't want to take too long, too much time. So thank everybody for participating in today's event. Thank you. Thank you, uh, brother Dr. Kalechi and uh, sister Auntie Kemi. Thank you all. My name is Abdullah Sise. I'm the uh, founder of a community-based organization uh, called BABA or BABA, which stands for Bridging Africans and Black Americans. And you know, we are a community-based organization that unites the Black diaspora through community service. 
Um, and I'm so happy that uh, Auntie Sister Kemi invited uh, me on to this to be a uh, co-organizer and Dr. Kalechi also. Um, I think it's a very important um, conversation. And um, I'll be here, uh, you know, monitoring some of the chat. Uh, so please feel free to put your questions in there. Um, also, if you are not a panelist, and we've only got six, uh, we invited six people to come on here to share their stories. Um, uh, please uh, save your comments for later on in the Q and A. Um, and you know, if you have like burning desires just to to, to engage, uh, it's very welcome. But just make it text at the moment and put it in the chat. Um, special shout outs to Sister uh, Usuji who will be broadcasting and streaming the audio version of this uh, onto her clubhouse. Um, great added value. Clubhouse is a great platform, you know, to have this sort of conversation. And um, that that's about it. And, you know, uh, I just wanted to, um, you know, again, uh, give some condolences to, to the great tragedy that happened in the Bronx. Uh, myself, along with a lot of people, have been like immersed in in in, in what's happening in the in, in the fire that happened in the Bronx, and and just uh, helping out, you know, the families over there. So, um, you know, we're still praying for the family. Um, and, you know, that's, that's about it. That's all I have to say. Uh, uh, I'm going to give the mic back to Dr. Kalachi. Thank you. Thank you very much for that and for putting those words out there. And again, special condolences out to those. And thanks for all the efforts that those in the Bronx are um, putting towards um, helping those families out. Very, a lot of them are members of our respective communities. Now, before we get into this conversation, I want to put out a disclaimer by first, I think it'd be Hoover me to at least not say that in the midst of these discussions, we have to acknowledge and first give reverence to our parents, right? And give reverence to those who, you know, came to America. And uh, we understand that this, the intentions of why you were here and you seeking a better life for all of us. And for a lot of us who are adults now, we we are leading better lives because of your sacrifices and, and the things that you did. So I want to first mention that and 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 and, and acknowledge and recognize all the parents that I hear and all the aunties and uncles that have also supported as well. But just even coming to take the chance to even listen to us as we talk about our experiences growing up, it, it means a lot. It shows that you care. And we were very grateful for that. And then I want to follow that by just saying that it's very important that in these conversations that we do have and these experiences and, and insights that we're sharing um, are, are heard. And, and we know that everyone, we all tend to feel like we have different lives, but we also sometimes tend to find out that we live similar lives as well. It's very interesting how the human dynamic um, works. Um, and although we know that culture is meant to be dynamic, we also understand that we're very rooted in our identities and our identities are shaped by our parents, right? And even though we branch away sometimes, we're still granted, rooted, right, to our culture and um, and, and, and our identity, I should say. And, and uh, so this will be a very... Um, much clear, insightful, um, very real conversation. And I hope that we can be able to be transparent with one another and respect our thoughts, our feelings. Um, and uh, we hope that we can be heard um, because we hope that we can use this, move forward and create solutions as to how we can be able to support one another because we both have different barriers that we faced while we were growing up. Our parents shared last time what challenges they faced 
trying to adjust to the United States while also trying to raise your children in hopes of keeping them grounded to their African roots. And we as the children will be able to share what experiences we have. And, and hopefully when we move to the next conversation, we can be able to continue to bridge gaps intergenerationally. So I'll just stop with there and, and we'll proceed into our conversation by introducing we have amazing, six amazing speakers who are representing Africa from different countries. We have represented Nigeria, there's Congo, Togo, Ghana, Guinea, um, and Liberia. So we, we, there's a diverse uh, amount of insight and information that I think will be shared today. So I'm very grateful for you all. And I'll start off by just saying, if you all can introduce yourself by saying your name, you know, your occupation, what country you're from, um, whether you were born here in the States or whether you were born back home in Africa or even the islands, wherever, and then, you know, why you chose to um, speak on this panel. So we'll start off with our first one, Anu, um, if you want to just start off and then we can just kind of go popcorn it to the next one. Great. Thank you, Dr. Ibe uh, Lambert. So uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Anu Oshideko Abesua. I am uh, a regional program manager for the VHA. I'm representing Ogun State, Nigeria, and I was actually born uh, here in America. And the reason why I chose to join this uh, panel today is because, simply put, I believe in the mission and intention of this forum and what we are um, trying to do as far as bringing awareness and also having these conversations with our parents um, and in helping the next generation as we move forward. Thank you. Okay, um, Gloria, do you wanna go? Yes, I can go. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gloria Mesa. I am a public health specialist along with being a student and I'm from DRC Congo. So I was actually born in Kinshasa and came to the US when I was a bit younger. And I wanted to participate in this conversation because I love and support Auntie Kami with all of her projects. And I think it's a really rich conversation to have. So I always want to be involved to learn from my peers, as well as just like engage with other people in the community. So thank you for having me here. Thank you so much. Um, Baba, do you want to go next, please? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Baba Abke Yingsen. I am a financial lawyer. I start law school in the fall. Um, but currently, I'm finishing up a fellowship at a um, at a charter school here in the Bronx. So I'm from Ghana, Accra. I was born and raised in Accra and moved here when I was 15. Um, and like Gloria, I have been working with Angie Kemi for, for a while and love her and love Ponza Ponza with all my heart. So I couldn't pass up this opportunity to, you know, continue the work that we've been doing together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, Brother Usman, do you want to say hello? Hello, guys. Uh, my name is Usman Diallo. My occupation is I'm a broke student, broke college student. <laughs> no. I'm a representative. I'm a youth leader with the National Action Network. Uh, I'm representing Guinea, West Africa, Conakry, you know. I was born here, unfortunately. Unfortunately, at the same time. Uh, and I chose to be a speaker for this forum because, you know, Brother Abdullah called on me and I felt that it was a duty to help progress this conversation and build build this mission to the forefront. 
Thank you. Thank you. And it is definitely a full-time job being a broke college student. I'd let you know I've been there before. It's a full-time job hustling. So um, yeah, Brother Foley V, uh, do you want to say what's up? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, I like to also continue with Usma, Mosa, broke college student at Morehouse. Um, also a youth leader at National Action Network. I was born in Togo, West Africa, in my father's village, and eventually immigrated to Harlem. Um, I'm actually uh, Abdulay also invited me to his panel, and um, I've been on a couple pa- a couple panels before, but I've never really been on one talking about uh, being an African child. So um, I was very honored and happy to have this opportunity to really speak about it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And I know we had one more, but um, Sister Bowie, is she here? Beilu, yes. I'm here. Beilu, I'm sorry, Sister. Okay. Go ahead. Hi. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Nimare Beilu. Uh, I am from Liberia. I was born in Monrovia, but I've lived here since I was four because of the war. Um, I am, oh, my profession, I work for a bank during the day, but I'm also an entrepreneur and do speaking, writing, and uh, content creating on social media. Um, And I am here because uh, Auntie Kami asked me to join, and I love working with her anytime that I can connect with her on a project or speak. I'm happy to lend my voice, so thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So let's get right into it because we got a lot to discuss. So the first question that I'll ask is for our speakers, if you can describe growing up in your African household in one word, what would that word be? And anyone can just jump in really quick and we can kick it off. Just one word? Just one word. The first word that comes to your mind. Uh culture that's culture okay culture all right do you want to briefly just say why um so you know growing up in the african household is especially my household my father put a huge emphasis on our culture so for example when you're in the house you don't speak english you only speak your language so and at first like we didn't understand that but growing up now and see how I speak my link, my language fluently, even though I've never been back home. It helps me. And then I see my, my other peers and they don't speak the language that well. I now see the good effects of having that culture in the home and the balance of discipline and things of that nature. Fantastic. Thank you. Anyone else? If you can pick one word, what, what would that be? I'd say discipline because, you know, as an African child, you just don't do anything, right? Um, and my personally, my, my parents made sure that all their kids were very disciplined, very hardworking, very academic. And um, that was back, you know, in, in Ghana. But even when things kind of changed and we immigrated and sort of things got a little crazy, that um, upbringing is really what kept us going you know um and so I that value of just discipline and knowing that you know you're from a background where you just don't get up and do anything or say anything um has really followed me personally through 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 all the different stages of life thank you thank you anyone else want to jump in Uh, I'm so sorry uh um there's a fire alarm going out so I really have to leave real quick College dorm life. I get it. Understood. Um, all right. Uh, Sister Gloria. Yeah, I can jump in. Um, I would say like togetherness, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so my family and I came to the U.S. together and uh, we don't have a huge family here in the States. So I feel like over time, we just really had to stick together. And um, I'm relatively really close to all my siblings. So I'm the youngest of five. So we've always just been really together throughout our journeys here and just really supporting each other um, as much as we can. So I'm very thankful to having like older siblings mm-hmm. who have kind of like paved the way and given me a lot of like um, what to do and what not to do. And just like people to bounce ideas off and to ask questions whenever it was necessary. So yeah, that's what comes to mind for me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, and am I missing anyone? Yes, I didn't go yet. Um, I was trying really hard to think of a word because there's so many out there. And I don't know if tug of war is counts as one word, but we're going to count it. Put the hyphen word in for it. Yeah. today. Um, so I would say tug of war just between the cultures, between my mom and grandma trying to instill their values and me and my siblings trying to be all new age Americans. So there was, there was a lot of tug of war going on. Mm, okay, some tugging. All right. And um, Anu? Uh, I share the same sentiment. The one word that I have is battle. Um, So there was a constant battle of uh, maintaining my Nigerian culture and then also uh, making sure that I'm not fully assimilating into the American culture uh, per se. Um, When I was younger, I only spoke Yoruba. And when I got older into the school system, I I was able to interpret everything as far as like numbers and counting. Um, But when I got into the school system, they told my mom that your daughter is... uh, you know, she's intelligent, but the problem is that uh, she's going in and out of both languages and she's not fully, she's able to understand uh, her peers, but not fully articulate um, what we're doing uh, when we're engaging in activities. So um, my parents having to scale back on our native language and then having to speak to me in English, which uh, then affected me later on in life uh, when they are prone to speaking English and I would say so Yoruba so like that they can actually go back to speaking to me in my in my language and then also the battle of the American culture and I'll probably get to it later of being too African for Americans and being too American for Africans Mm -hmm. Um, so there was there was a, a dynamic shift at various points of my life but I would say that um within my upbringing it was a battle and there's triumphs and then there's also some lows that are there so yeah great yeah. thank thank you all thank you all for sharing i don't think i'm missing anyone i know um Rafobi had to had to step out really quickly uh, definitely i think and you can see there's this the theme all that you all are saying there's this interactive back and forth this push and pull and and i think for my own thing i i definitely would say the word that comes to my mind other than what's already been said is pressure for me i think growing up in an african immigrant household especially when you're the oldest when you're you're first born pressure (laughs) it's it's a lot of pressure and and sometimes pressure builds diamonds so it doesn't mean that it's always a bad thing but in the sense of knowing that there there's there's certain things expectations that you have to fulfill not letting your parents down not wanting to let your family members down because our community was very interdependent right we didn't and then but we also have to negotiate our interdependent culture into this very independent land that we live in where everybody is their own, you know, everybody can do their own thing, live your life, be you. And trying to figure out how to create my own identity in that world um, was a lot of pressure, you know, but I think people can deal with those things and and you have to rise to the occasion and make it happen and and do what you have to do. Just like our parents had to do 
what they have to do for themselves at some point. But let's move on to the next question then, which is growing up, what was your favorite, if you can recollect, what was your favorite childhood experience? Um, What are some things that you miss, you know, and what are some things that you still enjoy that you brought, you know, that you still remember and still enjoy from your childhood? For me, it goes back to what Gloria said, which is the togetherness, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when uh, our aunts or uncles used to go back home, they would bring the DVDs or VCDs. Uh, they'll bring the latest music. And uh, that's how I really uh, remained within our, our, our culture and, and was current with what was going on back home as well. And in addition to that, the night party. So in Chicago, mm-hmm. we, would, we would go, you know, party until 5, 6 a.m. And you're a kid and it's, you're doing the auntie give me cake dance and, you know, <laughs> you know, picking up money. But then, oh, OK, you're pocketing five dollars and, this one, you know, you're getting ten dollars for cleaning up the entire party so I, re- I really miss that community and I feel as though um, you know nowadays a part of that is gone um, with the with a, a part of our culture which is you don't know what anybody is up to and you can't fully trust people so um, I feel like certain aspects of that community is is missing um, within us mm. thank you that's great that's great anyone else want to jump in yeah um, so for me it's actually funny what miss I knew um, is saying because I think I had the opposite experience, even though I grew up in Accra. So, well, first of all, my favorite memory was was going over to my grandma's, visiting my family in Cape Coast. So, across the capital, Cape Coast is you know a coastal town. So we would like travel about four hours, go to Cape Coast, you know, really um, stay for like the holidays, and that was so important to me because in Accra, we lived a very nuclear insular life, right? Um, and so, and I say it's interesting because I was talking about having this community and family here in, here in the U.S., but living in Accra, you would think that that was a little bit more available to me, but it wasn't because I think um, contemporary Ghanaian slash African life was a little bit obsessed with westernization right with Mm. with becoming western themselves and so you had this emphasis on the nuclear family right so mom dad kids in your gated compound and you know you were not the kids are not allowed to go out really you're not allowed to socialize you're not really allowed to form any connections outside of those gates Mm -hmm. um and so when you know the Christmas holidays came around and we got to go to my sisters my siblings and I got to go to Cape Coast Cape Coast was a totally different territory right it was Mm -hmm. like free for all you get up you go out you kind of like do the things that mom and dad won't allow you to do in a crop um and so that to me like is was everything because that's when I really got to understand that you know, understand what a family is, right? So it was it was a setting where, you know, auntie lived down the street and, you know, grandma's brother was like the yeah. man who sewed something like two blocks away and having that sort of community, right? Both physical and otherwise meant everything, you know, yeah. because that just was not there in Accra. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's very interesting that you bring up the idea of people back home in Africa really being obsessed with the Western world. But on the other side of the spectrum, those who are in the Western world are still obsessed with remaining African, right? It's <laughs> so interesting. Um, but yes, anyone else that wants to add um, to that, Gloria, Brother 
Um, Brother Usman, do y'all want to talk about your memories growing up, things that you remember fondly and things that you miss? And Yeah, I can. So for me, one of my favorite memories um, is actually back home in Kinshasa. So my parents used to host like family dinners I guess like on on Sundays at one of my uncle's house he had a really big house so it was able to accommodate all of us and it was like our cousins were coming together so I really really enjoyed that when I was younger just to see my cousins because it was very different when I came to the states I didn't really have that extended family support it was just like me and my immediate family so that's something that I really feel like I've missed out on and I wish I can have you know sometimes like WhatsApp or calling cards are not enough to feel connected to your family that are abroad so that's something that I really really cherish and miss about my childhood and um here in the U.S. it's been more so just like I think um sister Anna spoke about just like going to the parties when we were younger and then just being in that limelight and um being in those spaces were really nice to engage with other kids who were also like Africans and growing up um in the states yeah absolutely um go ahead Okay, um, this is Nimade. I was just going to say that I had similar favorite childhood memories um, because when we, when I was growing up, we moved, when we moved to the U.S., we didn't just, you know, move over here. We moved to a predominantly white neighborhood. So I was always like the only black face in a sea of, of white faces and white people. So anytime we got to be around family and do different events and things, it always made me really happy because it was new and it was fascinating for me. Um, sometimes I felt uncomfortable, but overall I enjoyed it. And it's definitely something that I've carried over now that I'm an adult. I really enjoy it. And it's just like a safe, comfortable space with people who have shared cultures. And um, I really enjoy that still to this day. Awesome. And Brother Usman, go ahead. Um, my favorite childhood memory, like I said, is like what everybody else said is being with family. So uh, every year we have this meet and that when the whole comes together and we talk about the things we have done throughout the year. And then while the old people talked about young people, we were just meeting our cousins, eating, drinking, playing around. And then to now progress to where I'm at at this age, I'm actually helping out organize this thing. And now I see the younger kids doing the same thing. And they calling me uncle like, no, 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 I'm only 20. <laughs> I did, you know, it's things that I need to pay it forward. So now that we all, we can see the community that our parents are building and then it's our turn to help progress this nation, you know? Isn't it awkward when the, the first time, uh, you know, a young person calls you uncle and you're, <laughs> <laughs> and you're a broke college student, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're both looking for money from your parents, you know. So, um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I, a lot of the things I, I relate to all those things. But I, for me, mine is a little bit personal as far as me and my mom. See, I think the best thing that I can say I remember fondly um, because I think now, you know, I, I I miss being able to sit down. I I used to love watching Nollywood movies with my mom. It's the most dramatic, you know, just the interactions because Nigerians. You know, we watch movies, but we're really, we're really just talking through the entire movie, right? Especially because of the sound effects, 
right? All of the other things that come with a Nollywood movie is so dramatic, but we're also so into it, right? So I loved watching just shows, but specifically Nollywood movies when my mom, like Anu mentioned the VCDs, but like just even regular shows, me and my mom used to watch everything, like, you know, Price is Right, you know, the, you know, um, Inside Edition and All My Children. My mom loved All My Children. We used to watch soap operas galore. You know, and I used to know all about that stuff. We would just talk about it and get into the drama of it. So those are like my fondest memories, just being able, and we used to watch wrestling. Like we'd watch WWF when it was WWF, you know? So those used to be the really um, fun things that now, you know, like, wow, like my mom, she actually, I don't know if she cared about it, but she just would watch it with me. It was, a, it was an amazing time. But now what would be some things that, if you had the opportunity to change, you would change about growing up. And I know, of course, the general line is, I wouldn't change anything, but let's be real. If you had the opportunity to change anything about your upbringing, would you change anything? Like, what would you do? What would you change? If I could make my, my parents listen more, like, hmm. understand what, like, where I'm coming from. And, you know, as Africans, and especially them being immigrants and not having their papers, they I, they're truly apologists. So even if things happen, like no, no, let's like, stand on our ground. I'm right here. Let's do this. Fight for me. Like see me. Like do this. But no, everything do. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's do this. He's do this. And that's like you kind of build like lose all sense of fighting yourself. Mm. And then you know, your parents have to like put themselves at this lower pedestal while you see them as these giants. But and when it comes to the system, they you know, they just don't stand up for themselves in my eyes and they don't stand up for their kids too. Wow. That's, that's powerful. We're, we're going to, we're going to unpack that a little bit. The word apologist, right? That That's an interesting word. Anyone, anyone else want to jump in really quickly? Yeah, this is Nimade. Um, if I could change anything, I actually wish that we had held on to our culture a little bit more. Um, my mom was so worried about us not fitting in. Um, that we, like, I didn't speak the language, even though I had spoken it when I was younger. I don't know it now. And aside from those family events that I talked about, there wasn't a lot of, um, I mean, there was some culture because we lived with our grandma and stuff, but I wish it had been instilled in us more. It's definitely something I connected to more when I got older and getting comfortable in those spaces and feeling more a part of them. But I wish that when we were younger, um, she had held, she had helped us hold on to our, our roots a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to chime in? Yeah, I want to chime in. Um, I think for me, if there's anything I would like to change is um, this whole like trying to fit in a little bit too much that my parents were doing at a very young age. So I was raised in North Carolina, partially when mm-hmm. I came into the U.S. And I don't know if you all are ever familiar with that space, but it's a very white state overall. So it was very challenging as a black woman, but also like a Congolese young girl going to school with people that I couldn't really identify with. And I remember at the time, my parents were really prominent about moving us into like this white neighborhood so we can have access to like all these quote unquote great schools and everything like that. But at the same time, they were not looking into the damaging that it was doing with us at the time. So for me, after I finished high school, I was really keen on attending an HBCU because I was just like, I need to see like black people that look like me because Mm. I spent so much time going to white schools and having those experiences, but it's really difficult to relate with those children because we don't have the same experiences here. So I wish it was more so like listening, kind of like brother Osman spoke about, but also just understanding that 
our experience here, it is what it's going to be, but we don't have to assimilate so much, especially with the, our white audience that we have in all spaces that we visit. So just being proud more of who we are, but also not like moving us into like all white neighborhoods and not taking into acknowledging what that can actually do to your children, because, you know, there's a lot of effects into those spaces. So that's one thing I think I would like to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the survival mechanism, um, mm-hmm. the career path in which I took and many other Nigerians, uh, it's within the healthcare sector. Um, so not killing one's dream early of wanting to accomplish certain goals or um, venturing off into a different career path and, and not being um, fed <sighs> by the negativity of what they're experiencing in this, in this uh, country, uh, which I, I find to be very, challenging and difficult for them and understand that as an adult now but just why does one have to go into healthcare or nursing or become a doctor and that also goes for other professions as far as if you're not a lawyer doctor engineer then you you failed you failed yourself you failed Mm -hmm. your parents because the struggle in which they put forth uh to come to this country and leave everything behind um is is going to result to what what are you going to do um so just that survival mechanism and, and, and losing your dreams at a certain point in your adolescent uh, years is one thing that I wish could have changed. Yeah. Um, so two things, I think, again, I, I, it seems like I had the opposite experience from what Gloria, Gloria and um, Boy Wu, I'm sorry if I'm not saying that properly, um, spoke about, because one we immigrated, we immigrated to New York City, to the Bronx, right? Um, and so there's an emphasis on not becoming too much like the Black Americans, the African Americans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was unconscious. And I, I have a lot of grace and a lot of compassion for, you know, the adults in my in my family and in my community, because they were responding and reacting to a certain narrative that had been handed to them when they stepped foot into this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was always a certain conversation about, you know, the Akata people, I mean, you know, and just sort of that yeah. they're over there, yeah. you know, if you want to be successful, don't get too close, right? Always remember that you're African, you're not African-American, right? Of course, it wasn't said in those explicit um, terms, but again, it's because and connecting it to what um, Anu was saying, it was a certain survival mode, which necessitated that they craft a certain um, separate identity for themselves so as not to be subjected to all the unfortunate stereotypes, right, and treatment that African-Americans experience here in the U.S. Um, and for me, you know, that was that that had its effect when I went into college. I went to a predominantly white institution. And so it's like the black community was so small, right? And the African community was even smaller, right? So it's like it's hard to kind of cast away that identity of okay, I'm kind of over here in my corner and everyone else is different, you know. Um, and it was hard to kind of navigate an environment like that. But also I think um I, I mean having grown out of that, um, I like that I now have the opportunity to educate them, right? And to really help them unlearn a lot of the things that, again, unconsciously, you know, because let's face it, it it's not something that they chose to, to really, um, they, they didn't choose to, to have that mindset, right? It was a survival, 
it was a way to, to survive in America. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, oh, Brother Fo, I, I think you're back. So this is um, just another question to bring you up to speed. The question that was just answered by the speakers was, if you could change one thing about growing up in your African immigrant household, your African household, what would that be? Yeah, um, sorry again. Um, but for me, I think one thing that uh, I want to change is just a better, more understanding. Um, you know, African parents, of course, will always want the best for us. But that doesn't mean, you know, specifically what I need right now. Um, just because you you think you say, you know, we always want to do the best. We always want you to do best. Doesn't mean like this situation that you're pushing me in is best for me. Um, I remember one of the panelists was talking about how there's a current um, career path they always push you. My mom is a nurse. And so she always wanted me to become a doctor, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done, you know, event and there was always programs to, at Mount Sinai that I did. But Personally, I just never really got into medicine like that for me to, you know, go that kind of um, path. Um, I remember having conversations with Abdullah about how, you know, I like working in the community, doing stuff, um, you know, helping um, people. And uh, he even explained, like, you know, our parents don't always understand the kind of work we're doing and the efforts it really has. So um, I think just having a better understanding, because, you know, I don't know everything in America. You don't know, every, you know, they don't know everything in America. But if you able to hear my side, I hear your side, then we could come to a better agreement of what I'm trying to do. Um, anyone else want to add anything before we move on to the next one? I'll just say, uh, I'll just say for myself that it turns out that it's what was said earlier, which was, I think, uh, yeah, it was the Simari who mentioned it, the language. Right? I, I do wish that my mother and even my father put more of an emphasis in bringing us up in a language. And when I see, and I, I have a, a little bit, not, not too much, just a little bit of envy for those who were born here and know the language so well that they can pass, <laughs> you know, compared to those like me who was born there, came here at a young age as a 1.5 generation immigrant, and I can't pass. <laughs> my, and my passport is green, you know, so it's it's very interesting. Um, and but I, even though we understand the intentions, but that's one thing that I wish I could change. I understand it. I'm an Igbo boy that was raised in a Yoruba household, right? I don't understand a lick of Igbo, but I understand Yoruba to the point where it's spoken to me. But if I speak it, because Yoruba is a language that you need to have, it's a language of passion, you need to have a little bit of emphasis and you need to show a little bit of, you know, emotion with it, inflections and things of that nature. So, you know, you have to find some, you have to have practice throughout the course of your life to feel confident speaking it. So that was something that I wish that my parents had placed more emphasis on uh, compared to everything else that was already said as far as understanding being apologist. I think that's a very powerful word. And I said, we'll unpack that because there's a question that I want to ask that kind of picks on that idea of parents defending us in, in the face of what's going on in our in the world that we live in now. But I want to just ask you all, have you all gotten a chance to go back to your home country? And and if you haven't, what do you imagine that experience would be like if you ever had an opportunity to go back? But if you have, tell us what you thought, what your experience was like when you went back to your to your native homeland, your parents' homeland. Yeah, so uh, I'll go first. So I was, again, I was born and raised in Accra. I lived there for 15 years of my life. So I'm very Guinean, you know. Um, so when I moved here, the first time I went back was seven years after and everything had changed, you know. <laughs> and it was a very, 
surprising experience for me because I expected, you know, you know, I'm from here. Everything is going to be fine. They're going to recognize me. We're going to have a homecoming. And of course, that was not the case. So, you know, in those seven years, so much had changed. Right. Um, but more important, I, I think more importantly, I had changed so much mm-hmm. that that sort of connection that I expected was was a little was a little weak um and so I came back finished college and then I went back to live in Accra for a year and a half and really work and you know really kind of get back into the system as an adult because when you live there as a child it's different from when you live there as an adult um it makes all the difference so I had that sort of adult experience which for me um really strengthen my connection to the place. But one thing that I would say is that to never have the expectation that things are not going to be different, right? That you're going to be, you're going to to live and act and feel like you are not coming from somewhere else, right? Even for somebody, again, who was born and raised there for such a long time, immigrating to America and then going back, there's always a, a certain a certain gap right? Um, it's not a negative thing. I, I think that's the mm-hmm. difficulty that some people have in navigating that that gap. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not something to fight. It's not something to force. You just have to recognize that you, you hold different identities now, right? Yeah, that you yeah, just yeah. have to, um, to, to negotiate. It, it's, it's not terrible. It just means that you can act in a different way to people mm-hmm. who, are, who are back home. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Anyone else want to add to that or share their thoughts? Uh, yeah. So um, I have um, went back uh, to Togo many times. Um, and um, it was weird because I was, when I was born there, I came to this country around like two, three years old and didn't go back to like, I think I was 15. Mm-hmm. So it was a very large gap. Um, and like, it was weird. I got off the airport and like, it's kind of, it's like they kind of just saw, like, an American homo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they can smell it, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, they can smell an American. And I was just like, you know, and I, I could speak the language to a point, um, you know, um, but, like, it, it didn't really matter. Um, but, you know, I still loved every moment of it. Um, you know, my family back home is very uh, welcoming. Um, people, like, you know, they just was happy the fact that I was willing to embrace, you know, um, back home. Um, I've had like, there've been like weird stuff, of course. Um, my mom's house is uh, on the border of Togo and Ghana. And uh, there was times where like, because um, I also have family in Ghana too. Um, and uh, this times we would try, I would try to go um, to Ghana, you know, um, border um, uh, police, you know, trying to stop us, ask for money and stuff like that. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's always a great experience. And uh, the number one thing I always do, I go back is uh, bring back supplies or anything I could do. So one thing was during COVID, I was able to go back and I got a lot of COVID supplies, you know, hand sanitizer, masks and stuff. I was able to go to a bunch of the schools and give it out. But uh, it was an amazing experience. And I, I definitely loved it, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, I wasn't fortunate enough to go back home as a child. Um, where's the money when when we're trying to raise how many children here in the U.S.? Um, but as a, an adult, I was able to go back home. I think uh, starting when I was in university, I was able to go back uh, to Nigeria multiple times. Um, and 
I mourned for our parents who um, left the country thinking that they would actually come back um, and be able to come back, but weren't. Um, I mourned for the fact that this is a beautiful nation full of resources um, that is infiltrated with corruption um, and um, the political government that is constantly put um, into leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mourn for the people that uh, are without resources and this it's plenty around them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was, it, it was everything and more of what I expected. Um, I actually, both of my sisters, there's an age gap. Uh, they're twins. They grew up back home. They were in boarding school. So to come back home and to see my sisters, to be able to interact with my family at that time, my grandpa was still alive. He lived until he was a hundred plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to interact with family um, that was back home and to immerse myself in the food, just the food itself, the taste, I don't care how great my mom can cook just the taste of the fresh ingredients and being able to go to a a homogeneous country where you don't have to explain anything. Everybody knows how to pronounce my name. Mm -hmm. When I walk into a party, I'm I'm not hearing the top 10 or top 50 hits. You know, I'm hearing exactly what it is that I want to hear when I want to have a great time. Um, But also being able to give back outside of just the dirty December where a lot of people go back home. Um, but just being able to 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 feel helpless in a sense of when I came back to the U.S. and then trying to find ways in which I can engage and 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 not just um, be a IJGB like I just got back. Uh, that's the acronym for for many of us that go back home uh, just during that period. But how do I actually help my people? Um, beyond me actually just physically going there, but having that opportunity, which I find to be significant and um, and paying it back to my childhood self um, was very important to me. And I thank God that my husband was able to go back after so many years and, and, and share the same experience uh, that was stated earlier about it being different Um, and, and some great and and some in in other ways, but being able to, to see how you can actually help certain aspects of the country progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Anyone else want to chime in real quick before we move on? To the next question, brother Usman, uh, sister Gloria. Uh, sorry, brother Usman, I keep jumping in at the same time as you. Uh, I was just going to share that I actually have not been back, unfortunately, and I wish that mm-hmm. I had. Um, I don't know if anyone's uh, familiar with Liberia, but as I mentioned earlier, I came over because of the war. Right. So I came over as a visitor status, and then since then, it's been an immigration battle my whole life. You know, Mm -hmm. like trying to get asylum, them taking forever to approve it and then denying it because the war was over and then TPS, delayed deferral back and forth. So it just hasn't been um, a case where it's been allowed for me to go back easily. Um, I would love to at some point. My father still lives there and many of my siblings. Um, It's interesting that now that I'm older, I think um, I'm not sure if everyone's citizenship status here, um, but you crave that American citizenship to feel like you really like belong, that you have like a place. And now that I'm in my thirties, I'm like, do I need to be an American citizen? Like (laughs) Liberia, like that's enough. Why do I feel like I have to be a citizen of America? Like I can work permit. I can do my things here, but I feel less of the pull to say that like I'm American and more 
okay being like, I'm Liberian. I'm a citizen of Liberia. That's good enough for me. So I'm kind of leaning that way a little bit more, which hopefully I'll be able to get back home in the the next year or so to visit. I love that. I love that. I love that sentiment. Thank you so much. And Brother Usman, I know you had something you were going to say. I think we interrupted each other because we both haven't went back. And I'm going to accept the rest of that that have or was born there. So, but I plan on going back uh, after I finish this semester off. I hope, hopefully I can go back. Right so, what, so what do you imagine it, it, what do you, what have you heard of it growing up? What do you imagine it would be for you to go back really quickly if you want to share? Uh, very family oriented. I, I, I already been told that as soon as you go back, don't even think of having all the fun with other people your age. What you're going to be doing is visiting family after family after family. And I'm like, hey, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen my grandfather. Uh, my grandmother is in America now, so that that helps out a little bit. But uh, a lot of family I have over there I haven't seen. Some have died. And yeah, I just feel very sad that I've never got the chance to meet them in person. Mm. Mm. That's real. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and anyone else? Am I missing anyone? Sister Gloria, did you share? Yeah, I think I didn't share for this segment. So I can add on a little bit. So for me... I haven't been back either, unfortunately, which makes me so sad sometimes because I wish I had the opportunity to go back when I was a bit younger. But um, I'm the youngest of five. So I think I'm also like a woman and, you know, like women in African household, the way they raise us is not the same as they will raise our brothers. So I think my parents always had maybe like this fear because I'm very adventurous, I would say, compared to my siblings. Like I'm into solo traveling and things like that, but I don't know how much they would trust for me to go back home alone, Mm. which I have different feelings about that. So for me, what I've had the opportunity of doing is like going to Europe, for instance. So I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm Congolese and there's a huge um, Congolese community in Brussels, specifically in Belgium. So I've had a chance to visit that a few times and I have, of course, family there. So that has been a great exposure to what it can be like if I was to go back home because there's a huge Congolese community out there so Mm -hmm. I can practice the language, I can engage with my family, interact with them and just really get that experience of what it has been like for them um, to be raised in Europe compared to me here in the States. But Mm -hmm. I am planning on going back hopefully within a year or two. I think with COVID, it has been a little bit more difficult to figure out like when is the best time to travel safety precautions and things of that nature. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I think uh, sister, you might um, said something that will kind of help transition to the next question, which was, you mentioned how now at your age, you're like, am I really that thirsty to be American? Right. Is it, you know, can I just be, you know, African and be from Liberia? So then the question I will pose to the, to the panel then is how do you identify yourself? Now, living in America, how do you construct your own identity? And when you when you share your identity with others, what what do you what do you call yourself? It depends. Who am I speaking to? Mm, okay. For example, if if I'm in a you know a classroom, they ask you where, where you, I'm African. Right. When I'm writing that, I'm filling out a paper. The the options available to me, I use African American. Mm. So, so you know. It's like what W. Du Bois said, how Black people have a double consciousness here in yeah. America. Yeah. And Black is we have a triple consciousness. So, uh, yeah, our native country back home, being a child of immigrants, being Black people, being Americans, so all of that mixed in one. And also, uh, I think, uh, sister, I know a lot 
Anul said that we're being too African for the Americans and too American for the Africans. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of you know, situation I have. But me, it helps that I can speak the language very well. So sometimes I can navigate with my African side. So they'd be like, oh. And when they find out I've never been back, they're like, you've never been back? Oh, yeah, that's why. Yeah. M- meanwhile, someone that's born there is like speaking there and they're like, oh my God, you're, they're going to sell you. It's like, oh. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, the, the battle for authenticity is that seems to always be the thing, right? But yes, anyone else who, how do you identify yourself to others, to yourself when, when living here in America? Um, yeah, you know, it was so funny. Um, last semester, um, we had this actual conversation at, at Morehouse. A couple of students, Americans, um, Caribbeans, and like just talking about how we identify yourself. And I always just said, well, I'm African. And um, they were like, well, aren't you really African-American since you live here? And it's like, I mean, yeah, but for me, I always kind of seem like I'm I, I'm only here, you know, for, because of my parents really bringing me here. Mm. Um, yeah, I have a citizenship, but, you know, I, I've always identified myself with just being African. Um, mm. So I always tell people, yeah, I'm, I'm African. But when first pe- people first um, meet me, I'm always assumed as just being African-American because, you know, I speak English very well. They see me as, you know, a regular um, American, so... Okay. So I'm going to just add this, this subsidiary question to it, just to kind of make things more interesting. So in addition to your identity, you can also just add if you relate to the African-American experience, because I'm curious to see that because when, when um, Usman mentioned, you know, who am I talking to and the double consciousness, right? We, We have to, we were very privy to so many things living in America. We are privy to our culture, we're privy to Black culture, we're privy to you know, American culture. And we know what, when I say American culture, you know what I mean, right? So there, there's so many things we have to kind of be accommodated. We have to accommodate ourselves with. But do you all, in addition to your identity, do you all relate to the African-American experience as well? If you want to just jump in on that, anyone, please. Sure, it's uh, Nimare. So this question is actually very interesting for me because what I identify with has changed over the years, kind of um, like he was saying with who I'm talking to, <clears throat> but also my age. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, when we came over, um, my mom moved us into a predominantly white neighborhood, kind of like Gloria was saying, for better education, all of that. Um, but anytime I would be met with, as I got older, because when you do grow up in that neighborhood, in that space, um, there's stereotypes for African-Americans, like you were mentioning, which I didn't fit, but not so much because I was so African, but because I was too white. I was too white. I was an Oreo is the term they would like to say, you know, I was yeah, black yeah. on the outside, white on the inside, just because of the way I spoke and the things that I was into and the way that I would sort of defend and deflect myself from that would be like, well, it's because I'm not African-American. It's because I'm African. And our culture is different than African-American culture. So when I was younger, I would sort of use my Africanness as a shield to protect me from getting teased about not being African-American enough. Mm. Um, and so when you ask the question, like, do you identify with being African-American? Um, it's different for me now that I'm older because I get we're not a monolith and we are outside of those stereotypes. I identify with both. When people um, ask, I definitely claim my Africanness first and that I'm African. Um, 
But overall, I would say that I've never truly connected with the typical African-American um, identity or experience. That's just because that's not what I grew up around. You know, mm-hmm. um, people were rapping and I was listening to Britney Spears and in sync and all that stuff, because um, that's what I grew up around. And in some ways, my being born in Africa was a blessing for me because there are lots of people who are called those things Oreos or said they're not black enough who don't have the ability to say like, well, I'm from Africa and Africa, because in America, whiteness is synonymous with greatness, right? And with doing the right things and saying the right things and speaking the right way. And I would say like, that's not how it is in Africa because everyone's black. So it's not me being articulate or speaking well is not a white thing. It's just a person thing um, because I'm from Africa. And I definitely hope, and I feel like we're transitioning to that a little bit more here now in America where it's not like only white people speak a certain way and black people speak a certain way. But um, yeah, overall, I would say I've never fully identified with the African-American culture as it's presented on a whole Um, and not fully with the African culture either. I was on a lonely island by myself growing up, it felt like. But now that I'm older, I actually feel the blessing and feel comfortable more having a leg in both worlds. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I can I can relate to that just in knowing that, you know, having to live in a world where, yeah, you I was kind of in order to kind of mix the urban, the urban identity of living in Chicago, you have to listen to rap when I really wanted to tell people that No Strings Attached by NSYNC is one of the best albums out there, you know, so like, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, uh, it, it's one of the it's, it's an interesting thing. But in relating to the African American experience, anyone else who wants to chime in? Uh, how do you identify yourself? And do you relate to the African American experience? Mm-hmm. That you yeah, so I, I identify as Guinean, you know, through and through. Um, it hasn't always been the case, though, like like Nimade. I think at a certain point, I was like, Guinean-American? Question mark at the end. But um, because, you know, the, the American passport, you know, it's kind of, kind of, it's very um, seductive. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. Um, but at a certain point, I was like, no, I'm Guinean, right? Um and that's 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 that on that in terms of my relationship with um the african-american community like i said earlier it wasn't really encouraged when i was growing up um when we moved here i should say um and it's ironic because you know we moved to the bronx but we live in way up so in the north bronx near riverdale so it's just like there aren't a lot of there isn't an african-american community there there's there isn't a black community here uh it's mostly hispanics and you go up the hill a little bit and it's, you know, the rich white people in Riverdale. So that I, I didn't get a lot of exposure to the African-American community, um, but I did go to school in high school in Parkchester, right? So a lot, again, the Hispanic influence has been more, um, it has been predominant in my, in my upbringing as opposed to the African-American community. Mm-hmm. But even with that, there was a quote unquote problem with being too white not because I grew up around white people, but because growing up in Accra in a very new age, again, kind of westernized nuclear family, there was such an emphasis on properness and being disciplined. And, you know, my dad was obsessed with putting on CNN, you know, listening Mm -hmm. to BBC in the car and Mm -hmm. making sure that you pronounce certain things a certain way, you know, very, very, um, and we, we, I mean, we definitely need to <laughs> need to dissect that. It's problematic on so many different levels, but, you know, colonization, what can you do? Um, 
So moving here, yes, I was moving straight from Ghana to here, but people found it a little weird how I composed myself and how I communicated. And that sort of separated me even further from Hispanic community, Black community, whatever community, right? Um, And that Oreo stereotype kind of existed as well, but it kind of didn't make sense because I hadn't interacted with white people all that much. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, that created uh, a gap between, you know, like my experience and the African-American experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would say like even up to date, I I don't, I can't point to four African-American friends, you know. Yeah. Uh, or even three. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, a couple. Anyone else want to jump in? And then we're but we're gonna get we're gonna get really deep in a little bit. So, I want us to kind of answer this real quick, and let's get into the nitty gritty of, of why we're here. Uh, simply put, I identify as a Nigerian. Um, when I have to categor- get a categorically place myself um, on a scantron or a box, uh, I am a Black African American. Um, in the perspective of my uh, Nigerian. Uh, mates or um, uh, the elders. I'm looked at as a Nigerian American from the emphasis that I've, I was raised in this country, but then I, I cannot say that I fully relate um, as some of my other uh, panelists have set, stated already um, that I identify as an African American or uh, identify to their experience because um, I actually have siblings who are half American, half Nigerian. So they are Nigerian American and it differs. Um, in various ways that <laughs> we could talk about offline. But um, for example, in the celebration of Juneteenth, um, I, I feel like I cannot fully participate in that because I, I was not, and my ancestors, um, my origins uh, do not have root in this country and um, did not experience um, things in which their ancestors and their uh, and those within the previous generations have faced within this country. But the historical root of racism is is a is a area that I can relate to um, and share experiences with uh, amongst my African American colleagues. But as far as myself, I identify as myself as Nigerian. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else want to chime in really quickly before we move on? Then let's let's jump right into this question then, which I've been thinking about while you all were talking, which is, what, what would you say is the, one of the main challenges that you had growing up that you wish you could share with your parents or you shared with your parents or whatever the case may be? And how did you cope with it? What was one of the biggest challenges that you can recall when you were growing up um, in an immigrant household or in Africa? And how did you cope with it? Did you share with your parents? And how did they support you in that regard if, if you did have a challenge? Yeah, um, I think for me, it's not having space for emotions, you know, mm-hmm. um, as an immigrant, again, I have a very split childhood. So before we immigrated, again, ironic, but before we immigrated, there was space for that. But then being an immigrant, there's so much struggle and survival, you know, going on that there really is no room um, to just be like, this is really difficult. And I'm having these experiences that I, I really do not know what to do with, right? Because mom is working 12, you know, 12 hours, seven days, right? So she also has her own struggles. And I think as a, as a child, I noticed that very early on that you know, I used to call it concentric circles of grief in, in my house because everyone was sort of having their own um, 
they're grieving in their own way, right? And so in that in that regard, it it seemed so very inconsiderate, even though you're the child and you're the parent, it still seemed very inconsiderate to um put that burden on them, right? That hey, this whole immigration thing, it's it's not very it's it's not going that well for me, right? Um, and so how do you deal with that? You you, you learn to suppress it. You learn to suppress it um, and you hope and pray that one day you have money for very expensive therapy. But up until then, you just learn to to keep it pushing. Right. Um, And that's unhealthy. But and I and this but is very might be problematic, but it does build a certain strength to keep going when things get really difficult. Like what Dr. Kelly, she said, the pressure builds diamonds. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, not always the case because again, psychological difficulties and emotional difficulty, they can be, they can hinder you in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but I do think the other side, if, if we had to find a silver lining, that would be the silver lining. Exactly. Thank you. Anyone want to jump in and add to that? My biggest challenge was United States citizen and immigration services, uh, flat out. Um, <laughs> uh, what Baba has already stated uh, just the trauma um, and and the psychological effect of as an adolescent having to map out and having a game plan just in case one of your parents are taken um, mm-hmm. and not just me but actually seeing the results um, from friends having to go live with aunts uncles um, or said aunts and uncles that the community has acquired um, going into the system uh, just that living in constant constant fear mm-hmm. um, which you uh, you know you you face various moments where it it, it could have uh, come to pass and your life could change in just a moment. So learning how to relish as a as a as a child in moments with um, our family, knowing how to um, become an adult or 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 becoming an adult very early in life. Um, Brother Kalechi, I mean, he was literally a, a mentor to me in college. Just even at that point coming in, how do I set myself and how do I continue along within this trajectory of making sure that God forbid anything happens, I can even support my family. Um, and taking on that weight as a, as a young, as a young person, having a job at 12, 13 years old, working, you know, various, uh, occupations that I could legally work at that time, um, in the state of Illinois, but having that, that constant, um, fear, uh, young, uh, very young, but also knowing that I am, I am, my life is is not is not structured by my parents, even though they have created this this path for me. But if they go away, all of all of what they have sown, literally, uh, it is not going to reap anything if I'm put into the system. So, just that fear uh, was the biggest challenge in, in my childhood. Absolutely, thank you so much, Anu. Um, anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, I would like to jump in. Um, I know that was remarkable what you just shared. So thank you so much for sharing your story. But um, I think for me, I really relate with Baba with the um, no space to share emotions. I think if there's any word that comes to mind, it's just like lack of transparency to Mm -hmm. an extent. So um, I come from a family where we're relatively close. We share experiences we share we we like we share experiences and we we have conversation but even within those experiences there's still like a disconnect of how deep are we going and how transparent we're being with one another 
So that's definitely something that I feel like I struggle with as a child. And also like no emphasis for like mental health, for instance. So I think um, as a person who works in the healthcare world, um, I've been introduced to mental health and really the importance of that. And then now that when I look back in my childhood, I'm just like, wow, like there were so many um, like traumas or experiences that I have faced or maybe like my, my siblings have faced there was no there was no space to really express that and there was no conversation on the importance of mental health and what we're doing as a family or as individuals to get to a better space to really um, cope with that and so I just think like just no transparency within each other because I think sometimes vulnerability takes a lot of strength to have Mm -hmm. and so you can be in a family dynamic but you're not really connecting because you're not allowing yourself to be really vulnerable with one another so that's definitely something that um, I think I struggle with a lot as a child thank you thank you Uh, so something that I definitely struggled with immigration was a huge one for me Um, everything she said was things that I had to deal with as well but um and to get a little bit personal something that was really difficult for me growing up was dealing with domestic violence um it's something that happens in many households not just African but I think we know as Africans like what happens in your house stays in your house and you don't talk about it with other people and you don't share it and also it's almost seen as like a given that, you know, if the man is upset that he's going to discipline his wife and dealing with things like that. And it was traumatic for me growing up, you know, seeing this person who I love to death, my mother, um, being hurt by someone who's supposed to love her. Um, so that definitely played a huge toll on me and we weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, thankfully, some things happened later in life when I was in middle school that led to members of our church finding out about it and then they were like no you can leave them because it's you know typical within the African culture like if you leave me I'm taking the kids and he would threaten her with that all the time so it's not that she wanted to stay in a domestic violence situation but he would threaten that he would take the kids and coming from Liberia like of course he would like he has that ability he has that right and not necessarily as an immigrant realizing that here in America it's a little bit different that Mm -hmm. the women have a little bit more say especially in those type of situations and dealing with custody things so um once the church got involved they were able to help her um get a divorce and thankfully that was such a a blessing on my life but it was just a struggle dealing with it and then from there the after effects the trauma effects Gloria mentioned um mental health which is an area that I'm now hugely passionate about. I talk about it. I have a fellowship with NAMI. Um, I'm really involved in the mental health world. And part of it is dealing with the trauma of that. Um, Because, you know, how do you not have that trauma? You know, how do you go from living through a war, living through a refugee camp and coming here, living through domestic violence and not have your share of issues? Um, But being able to get to the point, which even that took me until much later to talk about it and to lend my voice to it and let other people know that it's normal to experience trauma when you go through those hard things and it's okay to speak out about them and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to get help um, has been really important for me. But yeah, just dealing with that, um, that awful feeling when you're young and your house should be your safe space, but it's not like I would have constant anxiety at home that I would say the wrong thing or she would say the wrong thing. And, you know, years of that really does play a toll on you when your safe space isn't your safe space. So that was the biggest struggle for me growing up. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I I can imagine it's a very helpless feeling. I I completely relate and understand that. Um, Does anyone else want to chime in really quickly about the challenges uh, growing up? 
And I'll just add this as we continue the conversation. Did you ever discuss these challenges with your parents uh, when growing up? Did you, you said no room for emotion, right? So is this something that you've currently or had an opportunity to talk about or bring up anytime you had a challenge going, whether with yourself or with them? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I was sitting here, I was really thinking like, what is one thing? Um, and I would say it has to be um, mental health, but it's also like just my identity in general, um, you know, I was the I'm the oldest of three, and um, mm-hmm. I've definitely had to clash with my my father a lot because in my head it's like if I don't like at least try to fix it, I know my siblings will have to go through the same thing. And um, from everything from like fighting to go to school in Atlanta because I know my sister wants to go to Howard, that's her dream school. So right. I'm like, listen, if I can get to you know be able to pres- show them I can go to Atlanta, she can go to DC for school, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but like identity, because even back since uh, elementary, uh, me and Usman, uh, I know Usman since preschool, and um, I was there was a large uh, African community, yet they were a lot. Most all of them were Muslim, and I was I was Christian, and um, I didn't notice it at first until later on. Like yo, you know, had they were even more connected because they also had their religion with them. Um, while me, like, I always had to tell people, oh, I'm Togolese. Oh, what's Togo? Even to other Africans. And I always have to be like, oh, no, Togo is uh, right next to Ghana. And then I started feeling like it's Togo. Ghana is like little sister, little brother, you know, that people don't really talk about. Um, but it, it's been a lot of clash, uh, you know, with my father. Um, because it's like, I, I'm. it's not even like, you know, being disrespectful or rude, but there's, there's just things that, you know, be honest, our parents don't know. Right, exactly. You go, exactly. They go to present as if they know, but it's, let's be honest, no one knows everything. Right. You know? And and I there's stuff that I will know more than you. Yeah. You know, like there's stuff that I will understand more than you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've tried to, you know, have sit-downs and uh, spoke about it. Um, I remember having, like I had an event where um, I've been harassed by some white folks and uh, mm. when I tried to present it to my father a little bit, it kind of almost seemed like it was my fault. He tried mm-hmm. to make it seem like it was my fault. And uh, years later, when I tried to sit down and speak about it, it still had that same type of, um, he still had that same type of idea. So um, for me, I just kind of feel like it's it's all right if I'll be, you know, the little shield to take the hits now. Because now my siblings are not having to face, you know, all the, fights I had to go through to make sure right. we get a little bit more freedom. Right, right. You know, you crawling so that he can run, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he can fly. And, 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 you know, I relate, I relate to that. And I just want to chime in really quickly before we continue on that idea of, you know, the thing that keeps popping up is, you know, uh, not, not having space for emotion and, and not really being able to express yourself and not being able to tell. And it's an interesting thing because I, it makes me reflect on my own um, upbringing. And there's so many things <laughs> that, my mom don't know, you know, because that idea of being, as Usman mentioned, an apologist, right? When you don't feel like you need to apologize for just being who you are. Um, I remember, and I, and I shared this story before, you know, I remember as a young, you know, in high school, you know, getting pulled over by the cops and being searched for wearing a hat, you know, just wearing a hat. I was walking to go get uh, my cell phone. Like I had, you know, snuck out, to go see my girlfriend at the time. I, this was like freshman year in college. And she, you know, pulled up in the house and we sat in the car, you know, doing whatever. Um, and 
get left my phone in the car. He used the house phone to call and say, I got to get my phone back. I walked outside the house. The cops pulled. They see me. They stopped me. And they, you know, they, they frisked me and all the things, you know, getting ready to arrest me. Luckily, my girlfriend at that time pulled over and she let them know, like, no, I just give him his phone, blah, blah, blah. So they let me, they left me alone. Now, to this very day, very difficult to talk, to talk about that with my mom, because at the end of the day, whose fault is it? It's your fault, right? At the end of the day, right? So it's, um, and even when I've gotten jumped before, um, for trying to be helpful on 79th Street, right? And that's something that I brought up to my parents and told them I got robbed and I got jumped. Whose fault is it? It is your fault, right? And it's ultimately, and it wasn't like I was dressed up because the excuse typically is, oh yeah, you're sagging your pants, you're looking like one of these Akata boys, can you call, can you call? And that wasn't the case, right? I was, I came from a mock trial for my law school program. I was suited up. When in, in, in urban terms, you look like a Vic. <laughs> like, so you look like somebody to get taken advantage of, right? So that those are conversations when things happen to you that can cause you to feel some type of, you know, way, even a, a little bit of trauma that you can't express. The, the, the issue of being Black in America was very difficult to talk to my mom. And then the idea of immigration, right? Because you're walking on eggshells. You can't mess up because if you mess up, you'll go back. Don't cause me any stress because you go back, right? And so those things really cause a lot of a lot of, you know, it caused a lot of anxiety and it made you have to kind of get in line and and you have to suppress it as Baba had mentioned, and you just have to cope, right? Knowing that there's certain conversations that you just couldn't have with your parents. And in that case, growing up, your parents sometimes don't get to really know who the real you is until it's too late, you know? So those are things that I hope we can avoid and we continue to unpack as we move on. But uh, anyone else want to chime in, you know, as we continue to talk, what are some things, um, some challenges? Did you share it with your parents? Um, and what was that like if you did? Hmm. So I just want to um, chime in really quickly to say that now that we're older, I think that it's a responsibility to to have those conversations with your parents, right? Um, it's very, very difficult and it doesn't always go smoothly, but just to at least get your experiences across, Right that this was how it was when I was growing up. You're not blaming them. You're not, but factually, this was my experience. And I, I find that in doing that, sometimes they come around. Just the other day, my mom was like, um, so when I started therapy, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, there's that. And it was a beautiful moment, right? She, I mean, she's always kind of known that she, you know, she has a psychology degree and everything. So she understands the impact and, and, you know, the effect that this experience has had on all of us, but again, concentric circles of grief, right? When they're going through their own struggles, it's difficult for them as well to have that conversation with you. And it's hard as like the child, cause you're just like, um, you're the parent, right? You should be the one helping me through these emotions. But again, I extend a lot of compassion to parents and to the adults for, they, they go through their own trauma, right? But anyway, right. now that it, if and when you find yourself on the other side of that, it's very important to try to bridge that gap. And that's the beautiful thing that Ponza Ponza, you know, um, tries to do. But I find that that conversation, it goes somewhere eventually. You might have to have it a couple of times, but at the end of the day, they will recognize your trauma, uh, hopefully, and encourage you to seek help, Right. Uh, I told her, you need to go as well. And she was like, yes, and you need to go, right? And so that recognition pushes us towards 
you know, it's not like, okay, well, it happened and we're done. No, you need to actively seek help, right? And I think that acknowledgement is very, very important because it's not something that you just close up and tie a bow around and it's like, okay, I know you went through stuff. That's good enough. It's not, right? It's like, you need to encourage each other, parent and children to really seek professional help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Anyone else want to jump, chime in really quickly before I next question? Go ahead. I uh, think uh, seeing what everybody else here said, it's like we all kind of live the same lives. Yeah. Like at the moment we think, yo, I'm, I might, I might be the only person that goes through this. But no. when you share their experiences, like did we all grow up in the same household? <laughs> or from generation of trauma. Right. But then, but then again, like, somebody mentioned immigration like we all like sort of become lawyers for our parents having to read all the documents Mm -hmm. so they put us you know speaking english is a privilege so they put us on this level that that, oh they treat us like adults somehow when it comes to that but when it comes to like speaking about things that affect us oh you're a child go away i have some other things to do and also it's like not that they told us don't speak about your feelings. We don't care about your feelings. Is that when you see what they've gone through and that you're actively seeing you're immense in their struggles, it's like, oh, if my parents could go through all this, I could, I could toughen up. Come on, man. Don't do that. Don't break down. Don't do this. Don't do that. So, so you sort of build that wall between yourself and them and you never get to know. They never get to know you and truly yeah. know. Yeah. And then after that, it's like when you grow up now, like, for example, I wanted to play lacrosse when I was younger, but my father didn't understand what lacrosse was. He's like, I don't know. And then I, I wanted to play basketball. Oh, no, you got to get home by a certain time. You right, gotta do, right. You got to do that. But now they see my friends or other people. They're like, look at him. He's playing basketball. What are you doing? <laughs> but then we have this conversation like, yo, when I practice, when I wanted to go to this, you told me, no, this books, this, that, third. And they don't understand and now I'm in school for political science. They were like, what is that? Can you, can you go back home and do do a job with that? Oh, blip, come on, do this. Go engineering, go lawyer. This, right. But I'm like, yo, if it's not something I like, I don't like it. And my first time I ever see my father cry was when his mother died. Mm. I'm like, and then like, that's the first, I'm like, yo, he has emotions, like he's human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, then, and then as over the years now, I've seen him cry a few more times. So it it kind of gives you an understanding of where they're coming through. Like I came to this, he came to this country when he was young. He had to make way for my mom. My mom wasn't working. She had kids. So he was the provider. He left, he left his house at a very young age. So doing all of that, they had their own trauma to deal with. So it was not up to us to say, Oh, my parents is a bad parent is how can I learn from their mistakes? Right. How can I learn them? So right. I can be a better parent. Yeah. Not that they were, that's what they, you know, that's what they grew up, that's what they thought we needed. But yeah. as a child, you understand, hey, I I needed something else. Mm-hmm. And that was us to have these conversations with our kids and find out what they need. Right. You know? Yeah, no, that's facts. That's facts. And I, and I want to just, you know, and I, and I am piling on questions because I know at some point we'll, we'll be opening up for Q&A in about the next 10, 15 minutes or so, but I, and I, they're very important topics and we're all kind of building on these things. So now, you know, Usman, you just brought up this idea of seeing your dad cry, 
right? And the next question I was actually going to ask is that what type of challenges have you seen your parents go through, right? Do you, what type of challenges are you aware of? Because we talked about transparency and, you know, our parents being not, not being transparent enough, right? And, but what are the things that we observed growing up that our parents dealt with other than immigration, right? Which I know will probably be a primary thing, but like what challenges we see that, that kind of helped us have to adjust and, and, and suppress some of the, the issues because we knew like, man, you know, they're going through this and, you know, they don't share it with us, but we see it or whatever the case may be. What, what did you observe growing up? So um, I would never forget the story my dad told me. Um, the first day he landed in America, uh, my father got robbed. Mm. Uh, he literally got off the, the, the airport. I think he was in the Bronx. He literally put his like suitcase down. He had a suit on. And like next thing you know, someone just comes and just like takes the suitcase. Oh. And he went and he uh he chased him down, caught him. But my dad like questioned him, like, why did you rob me? This this is America, blah, 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 blah. Cause you know, um back home, like people really view America as a utopia. Yeah. You know, nothing is wrong, nothing ever bad happens, none of that. Um, so you know, like he he was just shook. He was very, very surprised, very shook. And um, the person, you know, told him, like, what do you mean? Like, I saw you had a suit on. I thought maybe you had money. Mind you, my dad only had his papers. His um, He he just got the visa to get here. Like, he, he didn't know what was going on. Um, and I guess ever since that moment, like, it completely changed his uh, his mindset on this country and was like, all right, this is, this is not how it's everybody tells me. Um, and then for... For uh, my mother, she was always worried of the safety um, mm-hmm. aspect. Uh, there's been like when I was like what, maybe two, three years old, my dad uh, left for work and we're in the house. And, you know, someone just comes knocks on the door, saying that they they know my father and we've never seen this person. And it was the type of fear that she's had, and um, I think that's probably the real reason why she always wants us inside. Um, but those like two events, I feel really like impacted the way how I've um, grown up. You know, my parents really just don't trust no one. Right. And um, they're like very cautious, always telling me, be careful who you with, be careful who you with. Don't trust no one. Don't trust no one. So, yeah, it's really that. Thank you. Thank you, Phoebe. Uh Anyone else want to chime in? Jump in. Really yeah. Um, I'll say one, the impact that immigration has on marriage right on on Mm -hmm. the marriage of our parents um so for me it completely shattered their marriage right so they got a divorce um my dad stayed back in Ghana my mom here but seeing sort of the messiness of it all right and and her having to process things when she wasn't on the ground to sort things out right with extended family and all of that mess was 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 just it was a horror show um now speaking of extended family another challenge that I saw her having to navigate was you know the entitlement of extended family back home Mm. right so there's this entitlement that you're in America so you're going to provide the world for them right? right you're going to send back everything you know like I need new shoes. I need new this. I want to start a business. I want to open a store. You know, next thing you know, they have used your resources to build mansions for the, for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very hard to just see her give, 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 and give, uh, and see people take advantage of her just because you know, you know, she's in America, and so 
money grows on trees, right? So you can just just keep on Western Union in it. And I I I um I like the kindness of that and I support, you know, being kind and supporting family back home if they need it. But I think that sometimes it crosses a certain line, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard for parents to 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 know how to draw boundaries when it comes to when it comes to supporting um family back home. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Baba. Yeah, I'd like to jump onto that piece. Hi, but um, before yeah. I go talk about mental health for the panelists, I do want to talk about sending resources back home and how that has impacted. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I really appreciate your comment, right? The, the young woman that just spoke about sending resources back home and how that's been really sometimes really difficult and challenging to navigate. And I will say that one thing that I'm also noticing as I try to help my parents set healthy boundaries is that I'm now having to also set those boundaries, right? Yeah. Because I, you know, I still have family that are home and they are expecting that because my parents can no longer give that I will just kind of inherit those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so I think that learning how to set those boundaries up front has been challenging and I think is definitely going to create conflict, but I think I'm, um, I'm here for it. So I appreciate you chiming in. So we'll unpack that in a little bit when we get to our Q&A. Thank you, Sister Ada. Uh, anyone else on the panel wants to chime in as we continue on? P- channel Challenges that our parents have seen uh, are going through, do we observe them? I would like to. So a challenge that I, I've i noticed that impacted me, and I actually notice it more, I think, now that I'm an adult, is people correlating my mother's accent and the newness of America with her intelligence. Um, she is very smart. You know, she went to school in the city in Liberia. She won a scholarship, she went to school in, in Sweden for a little while, but because she was in America and had an accent and was new to things, people constantly talked down to her mm-hmm. or constantly treated her like she wasn't smart enough. And I think someone mentioned before parents being apologists. Um, I grew up seeing that from her a lot, like saying, I'm sorry. And it's almost like their views of her over the years changed her perception of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to like watching that um, as, as a child, you know, cause your parents should be like this shining light. And now, especially that I'm older, like I can't stand when people over apologize, like don't say you're sorry if it's not something that you need to apologize for. Right. Um, don't apologize just for taking up space or for not knowing something. Um, but it was definitely difficult seeing that challenge. And she still deals with it. You know, she'll tell me stories from work where people are talking down to her, treating her like she's an idiot just because she has an accent, which is not the case at all. A person's um, accent is not indicative of their intelligence level. And we all know that immigrants are often the most educated people in America, whether they're coming from, you know, the country as a whole. We talk a lot about it from uh like Eastern countries, you know, Asia, India, like, oh, they're doctors, the whatever, but Africans are smart too. Um, and we come over, I think there was something that said like Nigerian women are like the most educated in all of America right now. So we definitely have that intelligence that we come over. And it was definitely always a struggle for me, like witnessing that from from her. And I now try to pump it back into her. I'm like, hello, remember you're super, like my intelligence is from you. Like I didn't just pop into this world brilliant and brilliant um <laughs> I didn't just pop into it like just out of nowhere like that came from you right. so I'm trying to actually build her back up now that I'm older breathe that life that confidence that she bred into me 
my whole life because she always told me I was smart. I could do anything I put my mind to realizing as adult now that that's actually been kind of taken away from her because of the way people treat her. So now I'm trying to breathe that life back into her. Mm, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's rich. That's, that's powerful. Uh, and I, I personally appreciate that because there's something to be said about seeing, you know, your, your, your parents, you know, my mom, my OG, where you see how tough they are when they're disciplining you, when you're out in the, in your own respective community, you know, when you're in the Nigerian, a Ghanaian community, you see them, at their at their you know best and then when you go out there to that other part where they know they have to negotiate because of certain things like immigration or whatnot and you have to see them kind of humble or just i'm not gonna say humble but they have to defer um and and become submissive to some degree it's and to watch that occur can sometimes be very it just is it's very frustrating for me and then being powerless as a kid to not be able to do nothing because you don't want to mess it up for them it can it can put you in a very t- tough situation. Um, but I want to because we have about a good ten minutes before we open it up. I want to just have us. We're going to kind of move on really quickly, and you can still address some of the questions that were asked already. But I do want to just throw in there, as far as do you feel like your parents would advocate for you or support you with issues in relation to like racial discrimination? you know, or abuse, do you, do you think, because we've talked about being apologists and having to kind of uh, accommodate insults and, and, and being denigrated for the sake of citizenship, do you feel like in issues, in situations where you have to deal with any type of racial discrimination or biases and stereotypes, do you feel like your parents have advocated for you or will advocate for you if you brought it to them? Yes, um, my mom always tells people, that when it comes to my children, I am a wounded lion. Um, and my mom already had a lot on the line um, just with the immigration status alone. So it's like when it comes to my children, what else am I willing to, you know, there's nothing else for me to risk. So I, I tell the story of when I was in middle school uh, and I was running for class president. And I've, I've been class president and I've always been a part of student council. And the school, uh, I was ineligible to run because uh, I, um, pardon me, I didn't submit my report card, which was on record at the school. Um, and I actually submitted it, but because it wasn't accessible as, you know, students are able to get these electronically now, but before you'd have to place a request, pay, and then wait uh, a certain mm-hmm. amount of days uh, before you receive it. So my mom went down to the school and, you know, she would always pull the, do you really want this to be on the news? Uh, do we want to elevate this to ABC7 or, right. or do we want to reach CNN because of racial discrimination? Um, because if this is Bobby or Billy, you know, this wouldn't be happening. But because this is Anoluapo, now you guys have a problem. Nice and nice and um, she always um, was ready and willing to go to the school, whether it be um, the the. Uh, something that is minute or something that is, is that is significant. Everything seemed to be, um, if her children were bothered by it, it was a problem for her. And at that point, um, what some of my other panelists have stated, where you know you see your, you see your parents uh, become submissive or or uh, shy or or now cower to um, others just because of their accent or or whatever factor it may be. All of that went through the window at the point where she sees her child child um, being the same thing that occurs to her happening to her child. And it's almost as though that sacrifice that she made shouldn't be inflicted upon the, you know, her children um, now that she has gotten to this point. 
um, or rather now that we have been given this opportunity, um, you know, uh, that she has, has been uh, paid for us with her, uh, with her challenges. So yes, any, any given moment, my mom was ready and willing to step up. Yeah. Yeah. And I could definitely, mom, see, mom, see a real one. I know that's, that's, that's facts. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Any, anyone else want to, want to add in? Yeah, it's Nimade. Um, my mom is very much like not about making waves and taking like the easier pasture, but like one thing about Mary is she does not play about her children, you know? Mm-hmm. So all of that kind of like she was saying goes out the window if it's anything that comes with us not being treated right or um, someone doing something wrong. She definitely has our back. And, um, you know, I was saying earlier, part of like the confidence that I have is because for my whole life before, you know, affirmations are a thing right now. Like, oh, say affirmations. Before I even knew what those were, I now realize my mom spent my whole life telling us almost daily affirmations. Like, mm-hmm. you can do anything you put your mind to. Keep your head up high. Um, I love you. I'm proud of you. And, like, you hear that your whole life, and you believe that you can do all of those things. And, you know, she's always had our back. And I know that if I need to go to her for anything, she's there. Um, I drive her a little bit crazy. I'm kind of like Gloria. I'm like, I'm an explorer. I'm a wild child. I want to try new things. I want to move new places. And she just, you know, kind of wants me there. But I let her know the reason I do all of those things is because I have her back. It's because I know she loves me. It's because like I can fly because I know she's always my safe spot to Mm. land. Um, And knowing that, you know, I can go back to her if I need to, if something doesn't work, I'm not afraid to try things because I can come back to her if things don't work out. Um, And just knowing that if something does go wrong, that she's there is, I think, huge and it's tremendous. And it's nice knowing that even in those moments where I sometimes see her as an, as an, I guess, very saying apologist, I know that if it was for me and if anyone ever hurt me or bother me or upset me that she becomes um you know someone saying like that lion like she's that person that protector out there which is great thank you thank you so much y'all y'all parents told y'all y'all they love you like that at an early age that was something that <laughs> that's you are unique um I didn't hear that until I turned 25 <laughs> um but for anyone else uh, who wants to chime in yeah please. um so for me it's an interesting question because I think that um, my mom races to not get into trouble so she doesn't need to do that right exactly. um, and so she none of us have ever gotten to a place where she has to kind of like show up in that way um, but I also think that she was raised again I, I love to really think about how my, my parents were raised and to really contextualize you know why they are the way that they are she raised as a very very sort of proper Guinean woman you know very put together very sort of, um, I don't want to use the word submissive because it has a negative stereotype, but, um, you know, like, accommodating. yeah, very accommodating. Thank you. That's, that's, that's the, the right word. Very sort of like wife, mother kind of role. Right. Um, and then when we came to America, she has really sort of found her way out of that box. And it's been very, very beautiful to watch her kind of step out of that, you know, cage of, um, of what is proper and what's appropriate, you know, Um, and it's gotten to the space where her kids are now pushing her. No, you need to like speak up. You need to, if somebody at work is doing something that is not, that is, that is bothering you, you need to show up and really sort of question them and sit them down and really stand up for yourself. Right. So the roles are reversed 
in that regard where like we're now encouraging her to stand up and to speak up for herself and if she doesn't she knows that we will do that like we will all roll up (laughs) to her place of work and face anybody who is like you know giving her any problems um so it's been really wonderful to see her grow in that way um and to see that my sisters and I are the ones who are encouraging her to to be that bold woman who will stand up you know to to prejudice thank you thank you all right so a couple more um you know brother Usman brother Fovey sister Gloria do you all want to chime in on your parents advocating for you and then I ask one more question and we got to open it up for a question and answer really quickly with the audience uh this is a tough one because like I said, I feel like they always been like this apologist type situation or person. And the one time I remember my father standing up for me in school and it's like, yo, he really did that. It amazed me. It was about in the seventh grade, uh somebody um tried to slice me. So mm. it was so he was like somebody tried to slice me and I put my bag out and fortunately they hit the bag. Mm. And the and the box cutter fell. Mm. And once once that happened, they knew it was over. So they started running and I chased them all around the building. And that person then caught an asthma attack. And then that wasn't my intention. But once that happened, the school called my fault, my house. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, son chased somebody and make them get an asthma attack and this and that third. And they really just tried to t- paint me as the bad person. And they didn't tell my father the whole story. And once I told my father the whole story, and he was like, wait, he tried to slice you? And they saw that, and they didn't say nothing. They didn't bring the cops involved, this and that, third. So my father went in there the next day, and he let them have it. And and I just thought he was going to be like, oh, I'm sorry for him, because he's always a bad kid. But no, he just let them have it. And I'm just sitting there in awe. And I'm like, you know, I love this man. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, yeah, I, well, I, I, but I'm like, oh, I love this man. Because the way he did that, and then all of a sudden, the deans got like upset because they were so used to my father and my parents just apologizing. And then I was just so happy the next day. I walked into school and I felt like I felt emboldened. Mm-hmm. Then one of the deans took it like he's like, "Oh, your stupid father thinks he can have you up in here like that." And then I lost it. Like I just lost it. And then through there, I had my father come up there, and then eventually that dean got fired. So that was. I, actually a good thing I see my father do for me yeah. and I wish that would happen throughout my life every time I was right they stood up for me like that yeah but yeah I think it made up for a lot of damage yeah yeah man that's powerful bro I'm I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you got to share that and I appreciate you sharing that in this space um, because that's a very very powerful thing to share and, and, and the fact that he did that is I'm sure is something that always stick with you in, in your memories um so really quickly want to just bring up this and I'm going to try to combine them, but forgive me. Um, I want to ask this one, though, and I think it's important. If you have or plan to have children, um, what are some things that you will share from your upbringing that your parents taught you? And what are some things that you do not want to pass on to your children from your upbringing um, in your household? Nah, um, I've definitely thought about this so many times. Go ahead, share it, bro. Um, I mean, one thing, like, um, they're, they're, like, small things that I would do more as just a joke, 
like, you know, the obvious, like, you know, when there's a remote right next to you and they call you from across the room, tell you to get the remote, I am still going to do that. That to me should just be culture. It should never go away. It's just dumb funny. Um, <laughs> but, uh, on all seriousness, like, I, I definitely will like, you know, the culture, of course, the amount of like, one thing that uh, like I, I always had uh, was like just the amount of respect we we just Africans kids kids give especially to elders to adults um that's something that that I will always want to to keep pushing yet there's a level of it of of course respect them but don't let them take advantage mm-hmm. um and um that was something um I would definitely want to push with push with my kids um of course the language um the culture but also being able to have them to express themselves um that would be like number one thing I want to make sure um, my kids have, um, you know, like, yo, what's going on? Like, really tell me what it is. Even if it's like he really, my son or my daughter really does something like dramatically that was bad. I'm not about to just punish them right away, but at least, at least we're having that kind of conversation and the willingness that they can come speak to me. Um, that's something like I, I kind of really wish uh, for my parents. Um, and I know that like, I'm, you know, the occasional, um, like my parents didn't really let me out a lot unless it was for like, I was working on with something that has to do with school or something that would benefit me. But like, I really want them to generally have fun. Um, you know, I remember when I was young, my family actually, uh, we went to Disney World twice. Um, and like, I want to be able to continue that, like being able to travel, go back home, but just let them experience other stuff. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, bro. Um, Anyone else want to jump in on that and add to it real quick? Yeah, I would like to jump in. Um, I think I agree with Folly with a lot of things that he said. Some of the things I would like to pass on is just like the shared values. So like respect for your elders and like our culture and also giving them the opportunity to travel back home often Mm -hmm. as they can. Because I think that's something that I missed out on. And I think it can be detrimental in so many ways. So just having that flexibility of going back home, connecting with their families over there as well. And um, some of the things that I, maybe I didn't get that I would like to give my children is just like creating like a safe space for them to express and just to really be themselves and to also have an opportunity for them to get to know me as an individual before I am their mother, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes in African household, we know our parents just as parents. Like, mm-hmm. I think now mm-hmm. that I'm older, I'm doing the work of like, hey, like, where were you like when you were in your 20s, your 30s? Right. Like, let me let me find out that side of you. Let me get to know you more so I can make um several connections in your life right. into why you are the way that you are. So I think it's a really important piece to allow your children to see you as a human before they see you as a parent and um, creating a safe space, but also being present, right? So I think a lot of our parents... Um, moving here, dealing with immigration, adapting to new jobs and to, to new life, life, life in America, they didn't spend a lot of time at home building mm-hmm. memories with us and really spending those quality time. So for me, like I personally wouldn't want to have like six kids or seven kids because I understand that, you know, the more kids you have, it's, it can be quite difficult to show up for all of them. So it makes more sense for me to have a uh, maybe a smaller family just because I really want to be present. I really want to be active and I really want to show up for them. I want to be the mom that's like going to all the games. I don't want to miss those games because I feel like those small pieces are important values into your kid's life. And 
them sharing their out like oh mom I scored 10 you know goals on this game like I don't want to miss those important values I want to be present I want to be there and really create a safe a safe space for them to be able to express and just be themselves yeah yeah thank you so much this Gloria any anyone else want to chime in real quick yeah it's, um, uh, go ahead anyway. oh, no, go ahead. okay um it's Nimadi I actually don't want to have kids much to my mother's dismay but the auntie life is too good to give up you know you get them them back I love it um but if I did have kids and and also what I try to instill with my um, nieces and nephews is just um the confidence I think that that was huge for us growing up um and I didn't realize as much how important it was until you grow up and you realize like how a lot of like negative choices people make or the negative way they react to things are due to their insecurities. Um, and having confidence doesn't mean you always think you're the best or you're always number one, but it's knowing that like you're good no matter what, you know, that when people make decisions, it's not based on on you not being of value and you, you not being of worth. It's just because they make other choices. Um, and I think that instilling that is one of the best things that my mom did for any of us. I think it's part of why my brother, sister, and I are successful and try new things and are overall generally happy people. So I think that that's something I would want to make sure to instill. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I would like to change that um, we grew up with is it's important to, like I mentioned before, my mom was not big on causing a lot of waves. And I think it's important to respect your elders but it's also okay to stand up for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, as much as, you know, she instilled that confidence in us. There was also definitely still the, someone is older, someone is in a leadership position, like they are, they are right. They are, you know, top, top tier. And so I, for the longest time, was just such a people pleaser. If someone was a boss or someone was older than me, then like they must be right. And it took me a while to really like advocate for myself um, in certain situations. So I think that, um, something I would change is letting them know that they can respectfully check people if they're disrespected. Um, and they don't always have to accept that from other people. And you can be a kind person, but that doesn't mean you have to be overly nice all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, sister. Uh, all right. Anyone else real quick? And this, we'll probably let this be the last one. and We'll open it up for Um, Q&A. Sure. Really quickly. I think for me, um, something that my parents, my mother specifically did that I want to pass on, if I should have kids, um, is respect in your kids. It's very, very important to respect your children, right? Um, because we always expect it to go the other way. You know, as the child, you need to respect your, you, the elders and the family, and that's great. But I think that what my mom did so well was always, you know, we always knew that she respected us deeply on a human level, you know, um, which is to say that she will not yell at you because you're a person right that she can talk to um and there's certain you know I mean we would do things I would do things and she would be the one to like apologize you know ever since I was like really little my earliest memories right um and so that respect really taught me that I I cannot and should never accept anything less from anybody else right um and so that's sort of the expectation right off the bat is that there is a certain level of respect that is just it's common sense to me like why would I accept anything less right so that's something powerful that my mom really gave her kids is that that and I don't know I'm struggling to articulate it because it's sort of like a deep yeah yeah intimate level of respect that 
you know, is really hard to see, I think, in our community, like from parent to child. Something else is like growing up, you know, having that dual experience that I was very lucky to have, um, having that background of growing up in, in Ghana and then growing up here as well. If if possible, I would like for my nieces, my nephews, if I do have kids, I, I would really want them to have that experience because it it gives you something. It gives you sort of this access and of to both worlds and this fluidity to move between worlds very, very um very easily. The language, the culture, you're sort of able to navigate both. Something I like to change though is um having as I as I said. I sort of grew up in a very nuclear family and I wish that I had access to aunties and uncles and cousins and all of that. And that's that network. It's, is is something that I would like to build for my own family. Absolutely. And I have to apologize to the other panelists. We are pushing on two hours now and I want to be respectful to the audience and y'all taking, but I want to give everyone an opportunity to also interact with the panelists really quickly. So I couldn't, we couldn't get to all of them, but this was a very rich, insightful discussion i'm very like my heart is full with all of this and i hope that we can build on this for the next conversation but i'm gonna pass it on to my brother Bulai Cisse, who's gonna be running the q a so brother Cisse, it's open the floor is yours yes thank you dr kalechi and the panelists man um some of these stories like we couldn't find this stuff in the book you know only in these sorts of rooms would we be able to like get access to this information? And um, and I know this helps the work that all of us are doing in the many different ways that we do, whether it's like content creating, whether it's like advocacy, community service and all of that. So I appreciate you all for um, like coming on here and sharing those stories and, and allowing you know yourself to be vulnerable. Um, thank you all so much. Um, I know a lot of folks want to like stay connected to, to one another. And um, so uh, we will do our best, uh, myself and Dr. Kalechi and Sister Kemi, to um, share as much like con- um, contact information as possible. Um, and then uh, for the Q&A, at the, at, you know, because we are coming on two hours, um, the floor is open for about like three comments, three questions or comments or inquiries um, from the audience. And then, um, like, we can, like, save uh, more of that information for, like, the follow-up uh, email discussion um, or the next program because this is the second of a three-part series. Um, and, you know, if, if we need to just do this for the next five years, like, we'll do that. So the floor is open um, for anyone to come off of mute um, to share any uh, commentary. Um, we'll take three comments from, from folks. Um, so just maybe like uh, use the raise hand feature and, you know, we'll call folks that way. Wow. <laughs> I don't see any hands raised. Okay, Doreen. Doreen, come off of mute and um, share a comment. Hi, um, my comment is basically just thank you um, to Miss Eriki for putting this together um, and to all the panelists and the moderator. Um, this discussion is, I think, so needed. Um, and it was just like kind of cathartic and like really interesting to hear from people who had similar experiences to what I had. Of course, none of us could have the same experience, but like it's just uh, so refreshing to hear from people who had a similar situation as I did when my family moved to the U.S. Thank you, Sister uh, Doreen. Where do you stay at the moment and um, what's your like ethnic background? Um, I live in Switzerland now and my ethnic background, my mom is Ghana, my dad is Dagati. They're both Ghanaian. Okay, thank you. Look forward to hearing from you. Um, and uh, A. 
uh, Mizi or Namizi. Yeah, Ada, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. thank you so much. One, um, thank you, Dr. Kels, for having this conversation and orchestrating it. I think it was wonderful. I also want to apologize to the panelists because I jumped on late and didn't realize that you were all panelists when I made my comment. But I do want to say that this, you know, I really appreciated listening to this conversation, being a part of the conversation as someone who, you know, identifies as a second generation Nigerian immigrant. Both my parents, you know, are Nigerian, grew up in New York City. I have many of the same experiences and I think it has really shaped what I decided to do in in my profession and how I continue to interact with with my parents, but also the lessons that I've learned, you know, as a child, the experiences that I've had definitely shape my approach to motherhood as now, you know, I have two young children and I think about how do I want to approach discussing emotions with them? How do I continue want to, you know, instill pride in them? How do I want to address racism and discrimination and all of these things with them? Um, it is, you know, my experiences growing up as a child, being an immigrant, a second generation immigrant, definitely uh, influences all of that. So I do want to thank you all for having this conversation. I think it was really, really um, wonderful. And I appreciate all of the shared experiences. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to assume you're a sister. Thank you, sister. And uh, what is your profession? Since you mentioned, uh, I'm a psychologist. Okay, wonderful. Um, very important to the movement. Um, and then there's a number here that has their hand up. So this is the last comment. It's a 718 number. You can come off of mute, please. Hello. Um, yes, hello. Good afternoon. My name is Rosemary O'Philly. So I live in the Bronx in New York and um, I'm with an organization that's been fighting for um, quality education and equitable ed- education you know, for our New York City public school students. I, uh, I know we were talking about the different panelists there, but I'd like to know, do they have younger siblings and how they're being treated? in the schools because one of the things that we've found out and maybe that's why uh, some African parents do not want their kids to be associating with um, African-American kids. It depends on the neighborhood and the parents' um, economic, you know, um, where they stand economically um, because a lot in some parts of the Bronx face the issue with gangs there's the issue with violence and the issue with um, drugs. And then one of the things that I found out that those African immigrant parents that come from English-speaking countries, their experiences are different from those who come from non-English-speaking countries who, and also who, aren't, um, who have um, limited formal education. So the way they behave you know, and the way they advocate for their kids is different and that's what we've been trying to push you know to get them to feel comfortable there's a language barrier so that's why we've been fighting for language access so i'd like to see from that perspective too you know making sure that we have all the different voices at the table thank you thank you um i hope you registered for this um so that way uh, we have like your contact information and, and your email um, you know, you sound like someone that would be a great resource for um, some of like the advocacy that is needed for like our community. You mentioned language access. That's, you know, something that, um, you know, I, I work on also. So um, are you are you registered? Um, whoever this person is that's speaking, did you register? So that way, and are now we able to follow up with you some other time? Um, yes, I did. And I also am um, in communication with um, 
Miss Seraki. All right, wonderful. Sounds good. Well, um, that's all. Thank you all so much. Um, again, we will continue to have this conversation and, you know, we've got all your contact information. So, um, you know, we're working on sending just a follow-up email to everybody on how we could stay connected and, you know, um, see you all on the next program. I don't have anything else to say. Um, Auntie Kemi, do you want to close it out? Yes. Oh, so thank you so much for everybody. The panelists, the uh, host, um, Dr. Kelechi, the moderator, and Brother Abdullah, we did a good, wonderful work. And we know we have to keep this conversation going. And I want to thank you, the panelists, for your vulnerability, because, you know, a lot of stories that you share today will really help so many parents. And that's why we need to continue to have this dialogue within our community, not only within New York here. We have so many other African immigrants, maybe in Canada, different European countries, that they could benefit from the story that you share today. And I think this story, the, what you said today is so powerful. Many people can relate to it. Nobody knows it all. And like I said to many of you who have worked with me before, I'm learning from you. There's so many things that I'm learning from you that I'm also changing my ways of doing things. And we have to support our children in this country. We have to. We parents, we have to change the way we raise our children. We have to be open to dialogue, conversation, especially also towards mental health. We have to be open, okay, to find out how can we help our children. I remember uh, listening to somebody recently who said all immigrant children should, be in, in, uh, should have a therapist you have somebody to talk to because struggling on your own trying to provide for your children provide you know make everything possible for them and then dealing you know dealing with an environment that is so foreign to you that you have no connection no other family member around you so it's a very difficult situation so i want to thank all of you you did a good job today i really appreciate every single one of you and i hope you're going to join us for the uh, third session whereby we're going to come together and brainstorm. Like some, one of the parents said the other time, the first uh, conversation that we had, that this is not just three level conversation. It should continue because there's so many things that people are learning from one another. And I, and like I said, I just want to thank you for bringing this in. And it's going to be published on my podcast and Dr. Kelechi's podcast as well. You know, both of us and both Abdullah, I know he's all over social media on Instagram, name it. He has everything. So it's going to be all over the places where people could actually benefit from. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you, everybody. Later.